Hi, CityCast listeners. How do Houston's parks compare to those in other cities? How does sprawl affect our park system? And what single thing would make Houston way better? Today, we're talking with one of the world's top architecture critics, Blair Kamen, about how far Houston's green spaces have come and how far they have to go. It's Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Blair, thank you for doing this. I am so excited to talk with you. My pleasure. I'm excited to talk with you. So back in the 1980s, long before you went to Chicago and won a Pulitzer there, you worked for the Houston Chronicle. And what I wanted to ask you is, how different are Houston's public spaces, including parks, from what they were then? The short answer is hugely different, (laughs) at least from the public spaces that I've seen in the very short visit I've had here. When I was here in 1983, in the summer of 1983, Allen's Landing was a (laughs) cul-de-sac, utterly forbidding space. There was even a sign there that said cars uh, and other vehicles are forbidden from entering here. This morning, I set off for a jog uh, down through that beautiful park and its evocation of the founding of Houston. So it couldn't be more different. And that's just the beginning, appropriately, since Houston was founded there. Uh, later on my jog, I jogged underneath a forest, through a forest of um, columns that support freeways and bridges. And this was Buffalo Biopark. I was stunned, amazed, overjoyed to be running through that miraculous urban space. And it is truly miraculous that landscape architects were able to somehow thread a sliver of green through that expressway tangle. It's amazing. An expressway tangle and... And like flood control. The the thing that's great about so many of these new parks is that they're multidimensional. So much of the infrastructure of Houston that was built after World War II is one-dimensional. The freeways take you from point A to point B. The flood control channels are, are supposed to control floods, and that's all they do. But the new parks, like Buffalo Biopark, are multidimensional. They're parks. They're... They create a resilient city. They bring people together. This is the way, this is the way that Houston should be building infrastructure. Uh, it, it, the problem is that it just has a really long way to go, yeah. given its uh, infamous sprawl, in order to bring these benefits to a wide range of its people. So compared to, say, Chicago, which you know inside and out, how does Houston compare in park space Mm -hmm. for people, you know, park space within a certain radius of where a person lives? Well, it doesn't compare particularly well. And that is not just me talking, an outsider, but the Trust for Public Land rates Houston as 70th among major American cities in in terms of its over the overall quality of its park space, I mean even in Texas it trails Dallas, Plano, Arlington, uh, many other cities. But I mean the, this this survey should be taken with a big fat grain of salt in my view. It uh, its criteria is that people are supposed to be within a walkable half mile of a park. That's great for Boston or New York or Chicago or San Francisco, but. It ain't Houston. Houston is an automotive city. It's a sprawl town. It's just an impossible standard to meet in Houston. 
to me, it's less important as to how you get to the park than whether it's easy for you to get there and relatively convenient for you to get there. So if it's a five-minute drive to a park, that's fine. So the the Houston uh, Parks Board, the nonprofit that works with the city to um, do the Buffalo uh, Greenway, the bios, the Bio Greenways program, mm-hmm. it has set an effective goal of trying to bring 1.5 million Houstonians, roughly 60 percent of the of the city's population, within 1.5 miles of, of green space. That's both aspirational and practical. I think. Yeah. You know, it has some important points. Um, if you're a low-income person in Houston, you're less likely to have access to good parkland, and and that equity issue is real. You know, to their credit, the uh, the Parks Board and the Buffalo Bio Partnership are addressing that issue with, like, the recently announced plan to extend Buffalo Bio Park eastward. Um, that will be a major improvement, mm-hmm. not just for people and uh, who live in the east side of Houston, but who live in the entire city. Is that why the trails are so important, linking up people and the parks? Yeah, I think the trails are just, like, it's really hit me since I've been here that the trails offer an alternative experience to the freeways. You know, the freeways are all about moving really fast. I mean, it really struck me uh, yesterday, uh, you know, as I was on this bike ride. Uh, and it's something that, you know, many different people can experience. I mean, we were along Braze Bayou and there were Hispanic families walking over the Mason Park Bridge, that beautiful new cable stayed bridge. And they were looking out over the bayou from the, you know, the bridge deck. And I mean, these are, these are pieces of serenity, of tranquility that are just so important in a very utilitarian automotive city like Houston. So I think that's really the essence of the, of the greenways that they're, um, that providing this alternative to the city of the freeways, this over-engineered, harsh utilitarian landscape. Yeah. That is the commercial lifeblood of Houston, but really isn't a way to live. It's, it's, it can't all be. If that's all we're doing is, you know, driving down the loop at 80 miles an hour, <laughs> life has, life has, there's more to life than that. I think that restorative element and the access to nature is even more important in the low income communities. Absolutely. Which are often more paved. Without a doubt. And so the access issue seems extremely important there. Yeah. I, I think that there's a real, irony in the fact that lower income people who need the parks most have the least access to the parks. That's not good. We see this, you know, we've seen stories recently, uh, New York Times and other publications about tree canopies, how, uh, you know, often in low income neighborhoods, you, you have either non-existent or very tiny tree canopies. I mean, if I could say one thing to Houston, I would say, plant oak trees everywhere. The best parts of Houston, we all know, have these wonderful oak canopies. You see them in the areas around Rice. You see them in Discovery Park. Uh, I saw them this morning in in Buffalo Bio Park. These tree canopies are just, they're not only visually beautiful, they provide shade, they help clean the air, they reduce uh, to some extent the, Uh the health effects of air pollution. And the other thing is that they're visible. Yeah. I mean, if there's one weakness to the bio greenways is that they're a little bit hard to see for the average person walking by because they're sunken. I mean, that's both their strength and their weakness. Um, They're down there off the street. But you plant tree canopies here and everybody's going to see them. And I think that's important because it helps to build a constituency 
for parks and parkways. People have to be able to see how the city is improving through public works in order to fund other public works. I wanted to go back to thinking about that density and the problems that Houston has. Mm-hmm. building parks that are near people. Mm-hmm. Does being low density mean that we're a lousy city? No, but it it means that you have challenges that denser cities don't. I mean, the, the low density, it can be argued, helps create one of the great attractions of for Houston, which is relatively inexpensive housing. Now, I know housing prices here have gone up somewhat, you know, compared to the coast, um, they're still very low. I mean, you know, I, I think the median sale price around here is about somewhere in the low 300,000s, maybe 350. Okay, well, that's like, you know, a third of New York, uh, half of Washington, D.C. So, you know, I mean, people need jobs. They need a place to live. Those are the basics of life. And low density makes it easier to build cheaper housing because the land prices are lower. Land prices are lower, and that's a fundamental factor in terms of, you know, uh, house uh, of selling homes. You, wh- what's the dirt cost? Mm-hmm. Okay. But in other words, if I'm yeah. the parks board or the parks and rec department, all of a sudden I'm facing the problem of the city, which is spread out over 600 plus square miles and everybody needs a park, but I have a limited amount of dollars and it's kind of like peanut butter. You know, you can only spread it so far before it kind of becomes like thin and meaningless. People at the Houston Parks Board say, not without reason, that they're using their scarce dollars to land bank. In other words, they can get, you know, acquire land now for future park use. It can also be argued that that those funds, which are going to land banking, could just be used like right now to improve parks that need a a slide on a you know a playground or a soccer field or a baseball field. The land that we already have that needs to be improved. Houston is this kind of extreme case of yeah. freewheeling, individualistic, entrepreneurial, commercial impulses. And these create public-private partnerships here are have been very effective in doing things like the, you know, the biogreenways. But it isn't easy. Honestly, like Houston kind of blew it. Uh, (laughs) Way back in the early uh, years of the 20th century, there was a plan here by a landscape architect named Arthur Comey. He said, you know, let's let's develop the bio greenways. They're going to be the heart of a Houston park system. You know, Houston did a little bit of that, but essentially for about like 60 years, it forgot about Comey. And, you know, this over-engineered city developed, land prices rose. Um, sprawl went everywhere. And so all of a sudden you're fighting this kind of rear guard action of like, how the hell do we, you know, create this network of parks under much more difficult circumstances than we would have faced a hundred years ago or even 50 or 60 years ago. You make mistakes like yeah. of a big nature and you pay for them. <laughs> uh, you pay for them down the line. And, and that's, you know, that partly that's what's going on here. It's it's a very difficult challenge, but again, not insurmountable. It's great that the Parks Board, the Buffalo Bio Partnership, and the city under Mayor Turner have steered the ocean liner, the SS Houston, you could say, <laughs> in a new direction over the, you know, generations, dec- you know, and even centuries. These things are going to make Houston a much more livable city, and, and that's really what matters. 
we're not used to thinking in terms of generations and centuries. <laughs> yeah. Well, time to start. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's say that I make you the czar of Houston Parks. No, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah, well, yeah. it's dangerous. I'm ready to do it. <laughs> if, if magically I could do that, like, what would you say that we need to be doing? What should we be thinking about for those next generations and centuries? I would plant a lot of trees. I really would. I mean, you know, I mean, I just think you can't go wrong with oak trees in Houston. It's like, you know, the, the biggest no-brainer there ever was. But the key thing for Houston is to design parks that adapt to the realities of an automotive city, but allow people an alternative to the automotive city. And that means that, you know, big parks are going to need to have parking lots for when we drive up to them in electric vehicles, because you're probably not going to be able to walk to them in Houston. But once I get out of the car after my 10, five or 10 minute drive, I want to be able to connect with nature. I want to be able to connect with other people. I want to be able to, you know, have a picnic or whatever. Those are the constants of park use the things that I think don't change. So even though you have a different kind of city that demands a different perspective on what a good city is and, and how parks should be part of that city, I think that striking a balance between the automotive and the pedestrian, the commercial and the contemplative, the public and the private is the way to go. It won't be easy, uh, uh, but Houston is an amazing place. It, it has incredible energy, incredible dynamism, this can-do spirit. And I mean, you know, when I was jogging along Buffalo by, by a park, I said, you know, if these people can build this park, thread this park through these, this crazy forest of, you know, expressway columns, they can do anything. They can, <laughs> I mean, they can put a man on the moon. Oh, they've already put a man on the moon. Claire, thank you so much. This has been great. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It's really my pleasure. It's great to be able to, uh, to talk to you. That was architecture critic Blair Kamen. His new book is Who is the City For? Now, I'm here with producer A.K. Al Moomin. A.K., what is going on in other Houston news? Hey, Lisa. I have some somber news to share today. On Tuesday at around 2.30 a.m., Migos member Takeoff was fatally shot in Houston. He was shot inside A10 Bowling and Billiards on 1201 San Juanito Street at a private party. Police do not have clear leads on a suspect yet based on eyewitness accounts. The Migos have been a staple of Atlanta rap with their unique triplet rap flow and creative outlips dating back to their early mixtapes. They found early success with viral songs such as Versace and Hannah Montana, eventually finding mainstream appeal with Bad and Bougie, which made it to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Takeoff was credited throughout the Migos' career for being the most creative writer out of the group, and fans made a connection with his low-key attitude and laid-back personality. Many celebrities have sent out their condolences on Twitter, but the fan reaction has surely showcased the influence the 28-year-old has had on hip-hop and the music scene in general. That's it for our show today. Please, if you like what you're hearing, tell two friends. Help us find our people. We will be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. Is it on a bayou bank? 
We don't have many slants. A slanted dog park? 